Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fourth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Tales from the Trenches, and we have a great couple on the show today to share their story. Now more than ever before, parents are finding out in utero if their baby will be born with some kind of congenital birth defect. One potentially fatal congenital heart defect is hypoplastic left heart syndrome, or HLHS. According to Texas Children's Hospital, this occurs in about 1 in 6,000 live births when a fetus's left side of the heart does not develop normally. Boston Children's Hospital led the way for babies diagnosed in utero with HLHS by creating an in utero procedure to reduce the severity of HLHS or, in some cases, to prevent the critical congenital heart defect from actually occurring, allowing the baby's heart to eventually work with four pumping chambers instead of the two chambers so many HLHS babies have. Today's show will feature a couple who traveled to Boston when they discovered their unborn child would have HLHS. How dangerous was the surgery? How many surgeries did their son need? What is their son's prognosis? That's what we'll be discussing in today's show, In Utero Surgery for Babies with Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome. And our guests today are Dr. Sally Gregono and Jay Wiley. Dr. Sally Gregono has practiced obstetrics and gynecology in Austin since 1999. She earned her BA from Trinity University in San Antonio. Her medical degree is from Tulane, and she completed both her internship and residency in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. Sally is a member of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, the Texas Medical Association, and the Travis County Medical Society. Her hospital affiliations include Seton Medical Center, St. David's Medical Center, and Bailey Square Surgical Center. She is board certified by the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and she serves on the Seton Hospital Perinatal Council. Sally and her husband, Jay Wiley, live in Austin with their two sons, Anders and Dyson. Sally is a fifth-generation doctor, so her passion for patient care runs deep. Jay Wiley is an attorney in Austin. He is a graduate of the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina, and St. Mary's University of Law in San Antonio. Jay has served as an aide to former U.S. Senator Phil Graham, President George W. Bush, and U.S. Representatives Michael Burgess and John Sullivan. He has managed political campaigns across the country and at the state level served as a research fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation and as a chief of staff in the Texas legislature. Jay is a member of the State Bar of Texas, the National Bar Association, 
the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies, and the Austin Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Sally, and Jay. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Well, Sally, I'd like to start the interview with you because most people would never guess how you came to know that your son would be born with a congenital heart defect. Can you tell us what happened? Sure. We had had a normal ultrasound at our specialist, the perinatologist, at 20 weeks when people usually do it. And then I'd been sick, and our ultrasonographer suggested that she check me for gallstones. And when she did so, she scanned down to Anders' heart, which we didn't know he was a boy at the time, and said to me that... That she thought that something looked a little bit odd and she felt like I should get it checked out. And so the next day, I went back to the original perinatologist who did the ultrasound and he was being very casual and said, oh, I'm sure it's fine, I'm sure it's fine. And then he got very quiet and it turned out that Anders had hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And luckily, the cardiologist he involved in our case knew about Boston at the time and that's how we got over to Boston for the fetal procedure. Wow, so it seems like it kind of happened fast and almost by accident. You weren't even really looking to see if there was a heart problem. You were checking for something totally different. It was just a fluke, complete fluke. I mean, we wouldn't have known. And, in fact, Jay and I don't like to find out what we're having, and so I never have Mm -hmm. extra ultrasounds when I'm pregnant. Our first pregnancy, we never had another ultrasound after 20 weeks. This was a complete accident. And so we would have not known if we hadn't been playing around in the office two weeks after my first ultrasound. And I specifically told the ultrasonographer not to look at the baby, and she didn't listen. So I have her to thank for finding (laughs) the, the heart defect, and so that's how we found out. Yeah. Wow, that's just amazing. So what was the scariest part about your decision to go to Boston for care? That's such a long way from home. Well, I think when we talked to Boston, they said you have to get on a plane immediately if you're going to do this before the damage gets too severe. So we really didn't have too much time to think about it, which I think actually was a good thing because we couldn't Mm -hmm. really think about it too long. And at the time, it was relatively experimental. They hadn't done too many of the procedures. Anders was the 37th child to go through the procedure and the 12th successful outcome. And it was considered pretty experimental at the time. So that was the scary part because we didn't know whether it was going to work, what kind of outcome we would have. But for the decision-making, we really felt like we were going to give Anders the best chance. If it didn't work, we were back where we started. And if it did work, hopefully we would come out with a four-chamber heart and have a really good, better, longer quality of life for Anders. So mm-hmm. we won the lottery, and he did come mm-hmm. out with a four-chamber heart. So it all worked. I mean, of course, the biggest risk of the procedure was that he wouldn't make it through the fetal surgery, and that was mm-hmm. the terrifying part of the whole thing. And right. like I said, we had decided not to find out what we were having, and we wanted it to be a surprise, and I changed my mind at the very last minute, and we found out we were having a boy, so right before we went through the procedure. So you found out that you were having a boy. Did you already have a name picked out and everything? We did. Jay and I name immediately. Jay wants our children to have a family tree name, so we had a boy's name and a girl's name both picked out already. So the only thing we didn't have was a middle name, so we had to pick that. His real name's Anderton, but we call him Anders, so we'd already had that picked out. Okay. Jay, you must have had a hard time believing that your son would be born with such a severe congenital heart defect. What was the scariest part about going to Boston for you? Well, everything really, Anna. We had kind of a model pregnancy for our first son, and everything had just run like clockwork. And so our lives really 
kind of changed drastically in the course of one morning. We woke up on a Friday morning with our life headed in one direction, and then by lunch that same day, we were in a completely different direction. And so there's always a sense of helplessness when you come across this and a lot of uncertainty about, first, whether our son would survive this, and secondly, what our life would be like, how our young family would be able to cope with such uncertainty. But, you know, I think that this crucible really kind of made us stronger. I mean, we're stronger as a family, and now we're thankfully in a position where the questions about what his life would be like and what his medical prognosis would be have been answered, and a lot of the uncertainty has been resolved. So now we're kind of at a point where we're trying to help educate other families and hopefully give back and help other people. Mm-hmm. And I love that about you. You're so open and willing to talk about this. It was an experimental procedure. I think it would still be considered an experimental procedure by most people because they haven't been doing it for very long. We don't have any survivors in their 20s who had this in utero procedure. So it's still relatively new and probably considered experimental. Jay, what options were you given after the diagnosis was made, and why did you think that traveling out of state for this in utero procedure would be the best option for your family? Well, Sally said we learned pretty quickly about Boston and the study that they were engaged in up there, and we had to very quickly decide what was the best course. The imagery that I kept going back to that morning was whether or not we would have an empty seat at our dinner table. I mean, that was the image that I kept going back to. And and so Sally and I had to really quickly decide, are we going to do everything that we can to make sure that we don't have that empty seat at the dinner table? And so we decided pretty quickly that Boston was really going to be the best hope that we had to help our son survive. And we decided we would move heaven and earth to do everything we could and pour everything we had into this. And so we hopped on a plane. So I mentioned that by Friday at lunchtime, we had made a decision. We were in Boston by Sunday and had the surgery a couple of days later, the in utero surgery. And so it all happened really quickly. And really, it was a question of whether or not we were going to pour everything we had into this. And we decided that we would and see what would happen. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. The whole story about how you found out it was actually an accident, and yet it was a fortunate accident with serendipity. And then for somebody that was working in a cardiologist's office to know about this procedure going on for hypoplastic left heart syndrome in Boston. Thank you, Sally and Jay. We need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Sally and Jay about how their son is doing and why they are such strong advocates of the Eliana Grace Foundation. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www. Dot babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back. Today's show is entitled In Utero Surgery for Babies with Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, and our guests are Dr. Sally Gorgono and Jay Wiley. Jay, when I first came to know about you, I also learned a little bit about the Eliana Grace Foundation. So can you tell our listeners more about this foundation and why you and Sally are such strong advocates for this nonprofit? Sure, yeah. Well, we heard horror stories when we were in Boston about families who had had a baby diagnosed with HLHS, and they had spent a few weeks 
raising money through their church or what have you to get to Boston. And then by the time they got to Boston, it was too late. The small window for doing the procedure had closed, and so they couldn't have this procedure. And so we heard these stories, and we helped get involved with the Eliana Grace Foundation. They work with the team in Boston to identify families that need some assistance to hurry up and get to Boston, and they provide assistance with them. And so we thought that was a great resource, and we've been involved with them for years, and our boys have helped raise money for them through lemonade stands and things like that. And so it's really great. And a new charity that's being started is the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation, and they're working with the folks in Boston to help provide more housing for people because it costs a lot to live in Boston, sometimes for months or a year at a time. And so these organizations are really great. And like I said, we're just really interested in helping give back now that the really tough times are sort of behind us and we can help other families. Oh, I just think that's so wonderful. I happen to know of Ethan Lindbergh. His mother and I were in communication for a long time, and they had a really rough road to travel. And, yeah, they were there. I think they were in Boston for about a year. That's right. With his last treatment. And so, yeah, I can see where that would be so difficult for a family, especially when you're coming from out of state. And so many of the people who do get their treatments for HLHS, this in utero procedure, are actually traveling from outside of their state. Although now I'm so excited to hear that Texas Children's Hospital is doing it here in the state of Texas. So I'm excited to see that. And hopefully there will be other facilities that are also doing this procedure and people won't have to travel quite so far from home. Sally, I just recently discovered this fact about Texas Children's Hospital offering a procedure. How do you think this is going to affect future Texans who are pregnant with babies with HLHS? Well, I'm beyond thrilled. People get in touch with me through a fetal email setup we have. And so I hear all the time about people that have this condition and what did we do. And now we have a place they can go locally that's much closer than Boston for them to travel to. And so I think it's wonderful. I'm so excited for people. I think Texas Children's also, I think Texas might be a little bit cheaper than Boston, is a place to get an apartment. Um, Houston, of course, much bigger city. And so I think it'll be much more financially available for people than Boston is. And so I'm very, very excited that it will be available to people. I think they've just done their eighth procedure. And so there is a steep learning curve. I think the Boston doctors came and taught them the procedure, and they're doing it now. And so I'm very excited by it. And I don't know what other fetal procedures they do. I'm excited to look into that because I just had a patient diagnosed with spina bifida, and that's another thing they operate on in utero. So I'm currently looking to see if they do that at Texas Children's, too. So it's exciting. It's an exciting feel. Well, yes, the developments that are being made in utero are just amazing to me. Just in the last 10 years, I don't know how long you've been practicing, Sally, but don't you think that things are changing rapidly as far as what is available? First of all, the diagnosis part has improved so much, but then secondly, for ways to attack some of these problems in utero? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, the things that we're doing now, the developments medically that we can do. I mean, for example, we don't do amniocentesis. We rarely do amniocentesis now because we can diagnose it through a blood test and eat a Down syndrome I'm talking about. Things that are developing is just incredible. So I'm hoping that Anders' condition will be treated very quickly and very early and hopefully 
it'll be more available in lots more centers for people, and it won't be such a difficulty for people to travel to places like Boston and Texas. And I think Pennsylvania does it too. But there's so few centers in the country, and it would be so much better if it was available in a lot of places, and it would not be such a burden for people to travel. And like Jay mentioned, we were devastated when we heard that families couldn't afford to come, and by the time they could mm-hmm. afford to travel, it was too late. The damage was too far. And so yeah. it's a very time-sensitive issue. You have to get there very quickly to get the procedure done. Well, and you're a testament to that. You found out, and they put you on a plane within a day. I mean, that's just amazing. And that you were able to do that, that you could drop everything, that Jay could drop everything. I mean, that really shows how you put family first and how whoever your employers are also recognize that that attention to the family is so important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank goodness I have a wonderful you. practice that supported me to be off for three months. So they were wonderfully oh, wow. understanding. Yes, they were, they were wonderful. For three months? Well, we moved to Boston at the end. So not for the Uh fetal procedure, but at the end I had such a complicated pregnancy that we ended up moving to Boston and had Anders there, and it ended up being three months in the end. So, yes, I was off for three months of work, and so it was a long course, and my office was incredibly understanding because I'm missing all the call, you know, they covered all my call and and everything and, and didn't even mind at all or complain. I mean, they were wonderful, very compassionate. That's wonderful. Well, Jay, tell us how your son is doing today. Oh, he's doing really well. He played flag football this year, which was <laughs> quite a milestone for us. He's really active in Cub Scouts, and he's doing acting classes. He's doing really well in school. Anders is just amazing. You wouldn't know to look at him that there was anything wrong with him. He'll gladly show you his scars, though. <laughs> he's got plenty of them on his chest. But he's doing really well. We're not holding out much hope that he's ever going to play in the NFL or anything like that. But as Dr. Turetsky in Boston quickly reminded me, we weren't exactly stellar athletes either, so don't set the bar too high for Anders. <laughs> but he's doing really, really well. He's really just an amazing kid, and it's really fulfilling to think back now. I mean, he's eight now. To think back at how rough the first few years were, he didn't eat till he was about two and a half. He had an external G-tube, a feeding tube. He had kidney issues. He had stomach issues, lung issues. I mean, the heart really is the engine of the whole body, and if something goes wrong with it, it affects everything else including developmental things. He had to go through a lot of physical development stuff. And so it's been a long road, but we feel like we're in a position now where all the hard work is really paying off when we see him do the things he's doing now. That's so encouraging to hear because I know that we'll have listeners who are considering the in utero procedure or who have just gone through it and they're wondering, will my life ever get better? And I think it gets really complicated after the child is born and because there's so much that they have to go through and there are so many questions still. But I think there is a time when it gets better. There is a time when right. you don't have this consuming your every thought all day long, don't you think? Absolutely. Oh, that's what's so wonderful. I mean, we I remember when Anders was so little, it just felt like it was never ending, and he was so, so, so mm-hmm. sick. And now he's just a normal kid. And of course, he takes medicine, but we don't think about it at all. I mean, it is not a daily thought at all. And the only time I really think about it is when we go to the cardiologist and I worry. I mean, when he yeah. gets sick, he tends to get sicker than some other kids, and he gets pneumonia and things like that. But he is just a normal kid, and it's so amazing. The only symptom he really has is he doesn't have stamina, so when he runs, he can't run very long. Right. And yeah. that's it. So it's just incredible. 
Yeah, and I, I think, like you pointed out, I think people, we do have this fetal support group, and the people that are new to it, it's very helpful, I think, to have people that have the older children that can encourage them because you can say, hang in there, it does get better. And I think it's really important to hear from people that have been through that stage that can say, yes, it's terrible, and yes, my son had that feeding issue and vomited all the time and never kept anything down and had a feeding tube, but he now eats like crazy. <laughs> and eat sushi. And so, you know, it's, but when you're in it, you feel like it's never going to end. And so I think right. to hear from the people that have been there and done that is very, very helpful. So that's well, been really nice to have. Yes, and I'm so glad that you could share that with our listeners today. Sally, I think there's a misconception by some people that if the mother has the in utero procedure done, that her child won't need open-heart surgery in the future or as many open-heart surgeries in the future compared to the normal course that an HLHS survivor would go through, which is usually the Norwood-Fontan procedures. So can you tell us about this misconception and about what the actual course is for a child who has the in utero procedure? Sure. I mean, Anders, unfortunately, has had five open-heart surgeries. And judging from some other people in the fetal support group, I think Anders has been one of the little bit of unlucky ones. But there is significant damage to the heart when it's stretched so devastatingly in utero, and the valves get incredibly damaged, the aortic valve, the mitral valve. And so those valves have to be replaced and repaired. And so they are so damaged by this that they do need surgery. And Anders had quite a few surgeries early on. But they are now developing valve replacements that won't involve an open-heart procedure. And so down the road, hopefully Anders will be able to take advantage of these new developments and his next surgery, we're hoping, will not be an open-heart surgery. And so as the things go on, I think it will get better and better for these children. But unfortunately, no, most of the children still have to have some open-heart surgeries. But mm-hmm. a four-chamber system versus a two-chamber system is night and day. And, right. you know... It's just their life expectancy is longer, they have less complications, their stamina is better, you have a different child. And when I take Anders in to cardiologist or to the heart, when he was just admitted with, with pneumonia, and I said that he had originally been diagnosed with HLHS, they couldn't believe it when they took care of him. Like, they've wow. had other HLH children that have had the normal course of repairs, and he was a different child. And so mm-hmm. it does make a huge difference that Anders has four chambers. And I think if it works, it works. And, of course, it doesn't always work. But I think we were very, very lucky and blessed that our procedure did work and very thankful to Boston, of course. Of course, of course. And that's a great way for us to go to the next commercial real quick. We will take one quick commercial break. And when we come back, we'll find parting words of advice that Jay and Sally have for any parents who have children diagnosed with HLHS. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to today's show entitled In Utero Surgery for Babies with Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome. Our guests today are Dr. Sally Gregono and Jay Wiley, and we have had so much fun talking to each other. We've covered a lot of different topics 
talking about HLHS, talking about where the surgeries are being conducted and why it's a good idea to go ahead and take a chance with this experimental procedure. But I do want to give Sally and Jay just another moment to share anything else they would like to share with us, but also to answer one or two more questions. And the first one I'd like to ask is, their best advice for parents who are just discovering that they're pregnant with a baby with HLHS. And Sally, I'll start with you. Well, I think the most important thing is to first find out if you are a candidate for the fetal procedure and if you can afford to get there and if there are resources that can get you there if you don't have the funds. You may not be a candidate. If the damage is too far gone, it may be too late. But I think it's very, very important to find out if you're a candidate to go and get Mm -hmm to somebody that can do it for you. That's most important. And then also reach out potentially to find out if you can get in touch with people that have been through it. We have the fetal support group, like I said, and to places like Boston or Texas, they they can put you in touch with people that have gone through it. And then you can talk to somebody that may help you sort through these things. Well, you keep mentioning this fetal support group. Is that a Facebook support group? It's a Facebook support group, and Jessica Lindbergh set it up, actually, Ethan's Mm -hmm. mom. And so we really keep it to people that are actually having children with heart defects. So we try and restrict it to make sure just really get those people in the group that actually have children with a heart problem so it doesn't get too okay. overwhelming. So it really is right. restricted so to people that are So you probably have to request? Yeah, you have to request, yeah. Okay. But that's good to know that it's out there and that's how people can find it. They can go on Facebook and look up fetal support group. And if you see Jessica Lindbergh and she's the person running it, then she's the moderator that you ask if you can join. So that's good. That's really, really good to know. Jay, what would you say is your best advice for parents who are just discovering they're pregnant with a baby with HLHS? I would echo that. Use the resources available, the experts in Boston, and they really are experts in Boston, not just from a medical technical point of view, but we really feel almost like a part of a family there. The nursing care and the people there really do care about what happens, not just in the short run, but in the long term. The nonprofits like the Eliana Grace Foundation, now the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation, plug in with heart families like Sally was talking about. The hospital now has really good housing options, which we have toured in Boston and pretty extensively, there's becoming a sense of community around heart families that maybe didn't exist right around the time that Anders was going through his tough times, but is getting bigger and more organized now. So plug into that. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent advice. And don't forget that this procedure is being offered now in some other facilities at Texas Children's. And the thing to do is to ask your cardiologist if they know, because Sally even said she thinks it's happening in Pennsylvania as well. So we need to be made aware of where these procedures are being done. And I'm sure that if the pediatric cardiologist doesn't know right away, they have people they can contact. It's a really small, tight-knit group. I, I agree with you with there's a, there being a sense of community. And it's so funny because I think the heart world is really tight as a community, but there are definitely subsets and groups like this that are even tighter because of the shared experiences that they have. Well, with our change in our health care system because of Obamacare, it may be even more expensive than ever for a child to have this in utero procedure, especially when family does have to travel out of state. What advice can you offer families who might have to travel a great distance to get care for their babies? And I'll toss that question up and let Sally, you answer it, or Jay, whoever feels like answering it. Well, I would just say that it's really hard in the long run, and there are sacrifices that have to be made financially and career-wise and every other way, you know, in order to get your child the care that they need. But it is 
profoundly worth it. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's an important message for other folks that may be going through this tough time is that it's really tough. It's tough to travel a lot of times, and it's, it's tough to drop everything and do these things, but it is incredibly worth it. Well, I think Good. in terms Good. of the financial support, though, there is resources. Usually the hospitals may know some resources. They usually have housing that they can help you with. Churches may help get you there. Other sort of resources that you may be able to get to and reach out to the foundations that have been established, the Heart Foundations, like Jay was explaining, the Eliana Grace Foundation in Boston, but there's probably other ones locally mm-hmm. that may help with travel expenses and such if you can't afford to get there. But these things are often time critical, so it may be that there's not enough time to do that, but there are resources to help you once you are there and housing available in most situations. And so you just try and reach around and find out what resources are available for the place that you're trying to get to if it's available. Absolutely. And I will be having links on the hearttoheartwithanna.com website. Just look for this show. Under the shows, go to the show about the in utero heart procedure, and there will be a link to the Eliana Grace Foundation. And I'm going to look for the Issa Lindbergh Foundation. I didn't know about that one until just now, but I will try and put a link up to that one as well. And so, yes, do talk to the hospitals. Do talk to the pediatric cardiologists and the social worker at the hospital. A lot of times they're the ones who know about different funds that are available to help families. Well, thank you so much, Jay and Sally. This has been great. I feel like we've given a lot of information and encouragement to families out there who may be pregnant with a baby with HLHS. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and purchase something from our Cafe Press Boutique to help defray the cost of the show. And also, Please remember, my friends, that you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. 